Welcome to the Child Care Business Podcast, brought to you by ProCare Solutions. This podcast is all about giving childcare, preschool, daycare, after school, and other early education professionals a fun and upbeat way to learn about strategies and inspiration you can use to thrive. You'll hear from a variety of childcare thought leaders, including educators, owners, and industry experts on ways to innovate to meet the needs of the children you serve. From practical tips for managing operations to uplifting stories of transformation and triumph, this podcast will be chock full of insights you can use to fully realize the potential of your childcare business. Let's jump in. Welcome everybody to the Childcare Business Podcast. Uh, excited to be with you again. This is Ryan Gwaltney. And uh, as always, uh, our marketing team has scanned the industry both uh, you know, domestically here in the US, but also North America in general. And so I'm super excited for today's guest. Uh, Donna Ski uh, is with us from Quebec. And we'll talk a little bit about uh, Quebec and maybe Montreal and uh, learn a little bit about that part of the world. But um, Donna is the founder of The Infinite Educator, uh, which provides workshops on all aspects of early childhood education, including on building resiliency in the child care workforce. Uh, which is what we're going to spend some time talking about today. Um, Donna is also an early childhood educator, education professor, excuse me, at uh, Veneer College. And I'll see if she... Uh, it, how do I pronounce it, Donna? It's at Vanier College. Vanier College. Yes. And let me just with that say, welcome to the show, Donna. It's nice to meet you. Thank you, Ryan. I really appreciated you inviting me on. This is very exciting all the way up from Canada. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Van. So it's I pronounced it wrong, and that was one of the things I was going to ask you because I've never been to Quebec. And are you are you in okay. Montreal? Are you right in Montreal? Yes. So yes, I'm uh, in the West Island of Montreal. Yes. All right. So for our audience, because I would say that predominantly our audience is going to be in the U.S., although we have lots of mm-hmm. customers as well in the provinces across Canada. Um, for our audience who has maybe never been to Quebec, what what is Quebec known for? Like, I is there something Quebec is known for? And maybe a follow up question more specific. If somebody was going to come to Quebec and only had one day to spend there, anything that you're like, if you're going to be in Montreal wow. or in the province in general, you have to do this. OK, well. We are um, known for what they call joie de vivre, and uh, that means uh, having a good time. So uh, when you come to Quebec, um, the place that you would probably spend your day at would be the Old Port. And so the Old Port is just what it sounds like. It is the old buildings from like three, four hundred years ago, cobblestone streets, amazing food. Uh, every restaurant has a um, like a outdoor eating area where you can just enjoy and people watch. There is um, so many activities to do down there. You're right on the water. We are an island, so uh, there's a lot of stuff that we we can do there. Uh, right now, we're just finishing up the the uh, Just for Laughs. Uh, our 40th anniversary, and all the comedians come in from all around the world to come 
to our um, our little town. And uh, that's always a, a big party. I was down there last week and it was like dancing in the streets. And it was like, that's kind of what Montreal is known for, for being a bit of a, a fun time when you come to Quebec. When you come to, Co I like that. So, I mean, that's actually, if, if anything, if there's a tourism department that wants to, you know, hire you, the attraction <laughs> coming to Quebec is it's a place to have fun. So Old Port, yes. when you're walking around Old Port, and this is maybe my lack of knowledge of the area, but is there a lot of French speaking people in the area? Is it like predominantly French or do most people speak English? Well, it's the province itself is predominantly French, mm -hmm. but in the tourist areas, particularly Old Port, downtown Montreal, that area, we are all bilingual. So um, if you come in and say, hi, I'd like a seat for two, we're like, sure, come on in. But if you come in in French and say, uh, un place pour deux, say, oh, oui, merci, viens avec nous. So there's always that um, opportunity. We are a very... Montreal in particular is a very bilingual um, part of Quebec. Other places are definitely more francophone, more French, um, but Montreal known for its tourism and we have to cater to everybody coming in. So yes, we're all quite bilingual. That's amazing. So uh, this might be a good segue a little bit into like our topic and, you know, early childhood education and, and education in general, but going all the way back, are you from Montreal um, originally and then in school in Quebec, is that actually part of the curriculum? Like, so the bilingual um, kind of approach to, you know, learning language is every student go through both English and French or how does that work? Or is it just kind of organic because well, a lot of well, it's interesting because I don't want to get too much into politics, but um, the English children in the province of Quebec are lucky enough to be given the opportunity to become bilingual. So I have three daughters and they are completely and absolutely bilingual it's because they learned in school. My oldest daughter was very proficient in French, so she did her kindergarten to grade three in French only and then wow. switched to English. And then my my twins, I have a set of twins, um, they did 50-50 uh, in French. So one day was French, one day was English. So they learned, they, they built up both languages at the same time. And that starts in kindergarten. In fact, it actually starts in our daycares. That's amazing. So do the do families then get to choose which of those tracks is best for their child, like the 50-50 versus the full immersion? Or is that like students? Yes, for the English okay. children, yes. For the English children, they have a choice to make um, for them to, and usually they can figure out whether or not the child is uh, proficient in a second language early on because of the exposure. And if they feel comfortable, um, they'll put their children and immerse their children into French. So if they stay here in the province of Quebec and they're perfectly bilingual, you know, the, the world is their own because now they have their, they have two languages. In the French system, it's a little less English. Um, they don't really see the bilingualism as a benefit as much as the English see having the two languages. So the Microphone children, although they learn a lot now through social media and watching TV and all of that stuff, they don't necessarily get as much English as the as the English get French. 
as the English get French. I love that. You know, I mean, I think as a student looking back, I took Spanish one like five times. Like I tell that story, <laughs> like, like I just never could quite get myself to, you know, learn the language when it was in a classroom setting for getting a grade. But in traveling abroad, when you actually, you know, interact in places where if you want to talk story and be able to interact with other human beings, not being able to do that is a huge motivator to learn a language. Mm -hmm. And so I love, you know, places that, you know, immerse children in that early because I think oh, it's yeah. such an advantage, um, you know, for them to be able to be bilingual. And that opens up so many doors internationally and travel. Yeah. So that's cool. And, I, our, and yeah, and in our daycare system, um, a lot of the daycares um, that I work with, they're considered bilingual. So especially in the older age groups. So let's say in the threes and the fours, there'll be one educator that only speaks French and there'll be one educator that only speaks English. So like story time by the French educator will be French songs and French uh, storybooks and, you know, French conversation and then the English educator. So, and they switch off. So even if the children don't necessarily have both languages when they go into elementary school they have the exposure to both languages before they enter into kindergarten i love that and is that like maybe talking a little bit about child care in quebec in general is it is it similar to what you know about like us and other provinces where you know families that need their children in child care it's an out of pocket expense for families if they can afford it and then the government subsidizes those who need help or is the government more involved in quebec around child care than in other places oh we are much more yeah we are much more involved and i would say probably in the, oh my goodness, early 2000s, um, we had a government come into, um, into power and they won on the idea of $5 a day daycare. Wow. And they implemented, and so they won, <laughs> and then, then they had to implement $5 a day daycare, um, which was done in increments. And so I would say by, oh, 2004, 2005, uh, right across the board, it was $5 a day. Now, since things have changed and, and governments have changed, but right now our parents, right across the board, unless it's a non-subsidized like home daycare or something like that, every parent pays about $10 a day for their children. Wow. The rest of it is subsidized by the government. It is really a government kind of, because um, we have this thing, uh, we have government run centers. Um, they're called Centre de Petite Enfance. They're CPEs. We call them CPEs. And they are nonprofit early childhood centers that um, are some of the best in our province, any of the CPEs. And they are all government funded. Um, educators are paid at uh, 19 and 20. I think the max you can get is 25, $26 an hour now. Um, you know, they have to be qualified. They, they have to meet certain criteria and parents pay about $10. I think it's $10 and 35 cents or something like that now um, a day. That's amazing. And, and I, 
like I could like talk about this for a long time too, because I'm so <laughs> curious about it too. But does that put the for the privately run centers? So for the entrepreneurs who run childcare in Quebec, does that is it a difficult business to create a sustainable business that's going to like provide a, a, no, a living? The, no? no, because the need the need for childcare is so huge, even yeah. with um <clears throat> because what happened. And I don't think they recognized that this was going to happen before. It was like, I don't know, $45, $50 a day, right? So a lot of people, a lot of mothers were staying home with their children until their children went to kindergarten. Well, with the uh, introduction of, you know, affordable childcare, all tons of women went back to work. And so the need for childcare is huge here in Quebec. Most uh, families have two parents that are that work full time, right? Because now it's affordable yeah. to be able to go back to work. Like even if they take a portion of that, I mean, uh, you know, it's what, $250 maybe uh, a okay. month for childcare. For Which child makes care. more sense because they can afford it. But when it was so expensive, it was like, yeah, I when would, it's, I'm yeah. paying more than I'm making in that second income. Yeah. Exactly. So how did, so how did you get into like out of curiosity? So when you go all the way back, I ask this sometimes of guests, <laughs> early days when you thought about, oh, what I want to be when I grow up, that famous question that kids get asked, was it, do you remember thinking oh, yeah. like, what do I want to be when, when I, when I grow up? Was it always something in this education role or did that come later for you? Well, I have to tell you the, the story I like to go back, but I won't give you a date. <laughs> Um, so it went all the way back to, um, my grade six experience. Um, I was sitting there on the first day of class. I can totally see it in my mind's eye right now. And one of the teachers came in and said, Hey, uh, we need some volunteers for the, to help out in the kindergarten class. And I put my hand up and, uh, as I can say, the rest is history. I went in there. The teacher was lovely. She was lovely to me. The children um, accepted me. Um, I, I spent every moment I could, even though it was my grade six year, I'm supposed to be getting ready for high school and being all that cool, you know, you know, I'm yeah. grade six now. I was hanging out with the children in the kindergarten class. I was just loving every moment of it. So, you know, Start. that's when we go ahead. I'm sorry. I said, and like 30 years later, I've been in the field 30 years later, I still absolutely love what I do. Um, I totally believe in the field of early childhood, and I, I I'm a huge advocate for educators. I just think I, I I lucked out. I really lucked out in finding where my passion was. Yeah, it's not it's not common, unfortunately, or maybe it's more common than we think. But you know that kind of adage of like find something that you're really passionate about. And then figure out how to make a career out of it or, or something to that effect of, you know, actually waking up every day and being excited about what you do is an amazing gift. And, you know, obviously for us to have people in the industry that approach work that way is so fun to be around. Did you, how did you then become a professor? Walk me through that path really quick. Cause if I'm not mistaken, a, a big majority of your career has been teaching early education curriculum mm -hmm. at Veneer College, right? Vanier. Or Vanier College, Vanier College. Yeah. Um, yeah. How so, did you get so, into that? 
For 10 years, I was an early childhood educator. So I am by trade a qualified early childhood educator. I loved it. And then I started having children of my own. Um, And so my oldest daughter, who is now 23, um, she would go off to daycare. I would go off to daycare. And then I would come home and she would be like, play with me, mommy. And I was like, uh, I don't want to. <laughs> I'm tired. Um, yeah. I love you, but I'm tired. I'm, and, and so I kind of had a sort of a, a moment where I was like, wait a minute, I'm giving all of my energy, all of my, all of the good stuff um, to everybody else's children and, and not saving enough for my own. Um, and, um, and at that time also there, Early childhood educators, um, so we're talking like, we're talking late 90s, right? So uh, salaries were poor, um, zero recognition, but I knew I wanted to stay in this field. So I decided at that time, so my oldest at the time was four, and I decided to go back and do my master's. And, uh, and so I started to do my master's and I, uh, saw an ad in the paper for, uh, Vanier College looking for early childhood professors. And I'm like, I'm just going to send in my CV just to let them know eventually they could hire me. Well, <coughs> sorry. And CV, just, so sure just enough. to confirm your CV means what in oh, my resume. Your resume. resume. Okay. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. There's going to be a little bit of a language thing. Anyways, so I, I sent in my resume and uh, and they called me for an interview. And I was like maybe three courses into my master's. And, uh, and I went for an interview. There was 12 people at the table and then me. Uh, yeah. And the dean, the associate dean, the this, the that, the, like half the department. And it was like, the union with everybody. Anyways, so I went on and on. I had the interview. I got the job. Um, and so I was doing my master's. And then uh, I was I started teaching at Vanier College and, uh, you know, went on and had twins and kept going. It took me six years to get my master's degree, but I got it. And uh, so you got your master's while you were teaching there as well. So kind of doing the dual track, like you're a professor, you're teaching, but you're also completing your master's at the same time. Yeah. And raising and raising children. Yeah. Twins. So you kind of like, hey, if you're going to do life, do it right. Right. Just attack it. It's like, you know, burning the candle at both ends, put the kids to bed, write a paper, go to bed, you know, get up, teach, you know, it was all maybe maybe i don't think i could have done it now i don't think i could do it now but back then i had a lot of energy yeah it's amazing moms are superheroes and you know in general and so to hear stories of like you know putting in all that time and effort to get to where you are what did so i know you've been there for many years talk about what happened during covid and in particular you decided to kind of branch out and and i know that's always a risk to step in this will kind of lead us into i think our conversation some of the topic for today but i know it sounds like you kind of took a risk on something that you had been wanting to do for a while which is is doing something outside of the classroom in terms of consulting and education so talk about you know infinite education and what led to that well it was interesting so during covid um one of the things that I was noticing uh, 
in my classroom, uh, with my students, with myself, um, with the children and with the educators. I have lots of friends in the field, lots of people that I know. It was hard. We struggled a lot. Um, doing on teaching students to become early childhood educators on Zoom, it was, it was, I'm gonna say it was terrible. It was terrible. I was teaching a course on how to build effective relationships with children while I couldn't even engage with my students. So it was all of the, these challenges. And then uh, I, I could see that pe people were just getting worn down. And um, last summer, I kind of, like you said, took a bit of a leap. And I recognized that there was kind of a gap in the field of um, people giving workshops, whether in person or Zoom. I found particularly here, in my province in English, there seemed to be a lack of a bridge between um, daycare or preschool and elementary school. And here in Quebec, they were starting to implement what we have is, I don't know if you guys like a junior kindergarten or a, or a you know, a pre-K. Preschool. English, yeah, preschool, but in the school system. So they were implementing four-year-olds and five-year-olds, or that five-year-olds were kindergarten, but they were implementing four-year-olds in the, in the elementary school system, but without giving anybody um, any tools to be able to manage what it's like as a four-year-old. Because a four-year-old, and we know in daycare, three-year-olds, four-year-olds, and even five-year-olds, how you manage them, the curriculum, the building the effective relationship, it's very different than how you would do it in an elementary school system, right? So it's not the same. And there were so many teachers who were working with K's, pre-K's that didn't have the skills or the tools that they needed. And so I kind of formed my company uh, with the notion that I could help out in the daycare system, as well as uh, I'm also working in the school system, helping teachers understand preschool children. So giving workshops on what is a preschool child, what does a preschool environment look like, what does, and it just all came together. And being somebody so super passionate about this field, you know, the idea of the infinite educator, it's funny, I have been a professor for 20 years, but if you ask me what I do for a living, I'm an early childhood educator. <laughs> That's still what you do at the core. That's what I do when I, as, a, as a core, despite the fact that I've put in more years as a professor. I just, I am an educator. That's who I am. So along comes the name, along comes the company. And it kind of just, it really did blow up uh, for me. I've been very fortunate. I've made lots of great connections. I'm working with a lot of the English school boards here in Quebec. I have uh, workshops coming up. I'm going to be giving a conference at um, at the teachers uh, convention this year. I've been asked to do some work with daycare educators in the school system. Uh, so it just kind of all came about, but it's been something, you know, that, that kind of yeah. thing in the back of your mind, you're like, I really like to do this. And I was very fortunate. I have a friend who's a business coach that took me on and kind of helped me with the business side of it because i know early childhood but i don't know about you know 
taxes and all the other stuff that goes yeah. along with running a company or, or even setting up a company. So she took me under her wing and, and I just kind of went from there. So it, I'm kind of a one man show, you know, I've got the, the, the drum and the <laughs> cymbals and the, and the yeah, whole everything, thing. Everything, all everything, the instruments. Everything is me. Yeah, that's all me. I've got the harmonica all ready to go. I'm, I'm the one man show, but it's been such an amazing experience. I've met so many phenomenal people. Um, uh, two weeks ago, I gave a workshop. And I just have to, I'm going off on a tangent. I apologize, but I gave a workshop in Australia. So I, I, yeah, I did a That's Zoom. That's amazing. I did. And then my there's Zoom. no such, by the way, there's no such things as tangents on this okay. podcast. We just okay. go wherever it okay, takes us. So but good. I have to tell you what an experience for me to be able to meet up with 28 educators from the other side of the world. Um, I had to get up at 4.30 a.m. to give a 6.30 p.m. Uh, workshop. I didn't care. They're like, oh, we're sorry. I don't care. I don't care. That's it was the most amazing thing. And Ryan, I have to tell you, the issues that are happening here in North America, they're happening happening in Australia. The burnout, the the lack of motivation, the the, the need for purpose, the whole thing that's that's happening with the with the field, with the profession, and why so many people are leaving, it's happen, happening globally. It's just not here in North America or in the U.S. or in Canada. It's a global issue. It's universal. Well, and that I think that's one of the ways that we found you, Donna. You know, kind of, I don't know if it was through social media or LinkedIn or some work that you were doing that was made public, but I know you had done a poll. And, you know, this theme for us when we talk with our customers and when we talk with, you know, guests on our show and when we do webinars, the whole theme of burnout, staffing retention and the challenges around that topic is like, I mean, it's it's the common thread that I think has run through the industry and all our conversations over the past six months with guests. But I know you had done a poll recently, just a simple poll somewhere around like how many of you who are early educators are planning to stay in the industry. And I think that caught our attention because the results were pretty disheartening, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? Yes, I was actually quite surprised at how low it was for the people that were going to go back. Only 23% said absolutely that they were going to go back into the field. Um, wow. uh, what was in the 33% said, 33 said that they were going to take the summer to think about it, which means they probably were also looking around to see what else is out there. Mm -hmm. But 43% had said that it was just too hard and they were going to walk away and they were going to try to look for something else. 43%. That, yes, yeah, almost half of the workers in the space, which, you know, we've seen a lot of statistics about the burnout. And I, you know, I know you've talked about this around, you know, during COVID, there was a lot of extra stress put on teachers and all the extra protocols and that you were around, you know, kids who, you know, were sick and maybe were more at risk. And there's all these extra things that were already added mm -hmm. on top of a really difficult job that, you know, everybody could probably argue was underpaid. And so you start to add that up as a yeah. teacher and it's like, wow, I love kids. I want to spend my time and energy doing this, but all of these things are kind of getting stacked against me. I know one of the things that has come out of that for you is in your conversations is talking a lot about resiliency and, and how we as an industry or as individual owners of childcare programs, how they can help build resiliency in their staff. Like, do you have any like practical takeaways or things you can share about like what you found in terms of how you build that, how somebody can build that kind of resiliency 
in the face of what they're dealing with right now? Well, I think one of the things that I've learned from um, from visiting lots and lots of daycare. So part of my job as a professor is I go from daycare to daycare supervising students in their stash. So I get a, get to have a lot of conversations with the educators, but also with the owners and the directors of these centers. So I'm, I, I get to know what's going on in the industry. I'm not just sitting, you know, in my professor tower or whatever it is. I really get to hear what's going on. Now, how directors can really support um, educators, I think it's really important uh, that there needs to be that support. And, and the things that are coming out that I'm hearing from the educators is obviously it's, it's, it's a very low-paying job. But the thing is, it's not just about the pay. Right? We know we're going into a job. We know we're going into a field that we're not going to get paid for. We're there for a greater purpose. And we kind of want to be supported in that. But it is a really tough job. Right? It is a really physically, emotionally, mentally demanding job to be an early childhood educator. So if directors really wanted some support, if they can't afford to give all the educators some um, more money, which we know we can, it can happen, or you know, very few uh, owners can do that, um, I would suggest having extra support staff, having one extra person in your center to help at those crucial, critical times of the day, you know, going into an infant room um, and all of a sudden the ratio is like, I don't know, 10 children to three adults as opposed to just two and, and dealing with the children that way, that always helps. Or helping, you know, the toddler uh, educator getting, uh, you know, 12 children dressed up in snowsuits. Let me tell you, that, that that's, that'll break your back. <laughs> that's you know, cool and, back. That, that's Quebec, right? Yeah. Um, and just just that kind of thing. And I think the other thing that I'm talking to educators, um, especially now that I'm giving the workshops, is that they do want more tools. They want more skills. They want more professional development in how to deal with the challenging behavior because children and parents have changed. Um you know, the demand for the different types of curriculum has changed. The dynamics in the classroom has changed, you know. Uh, so all of those things, um, if the educator doesn't know what to do or doesn't have the tools to be able to um, to manage their classroom, that makes for a way more stressful uh, environment and makes an educator want to leave. But if the educator will stay, even if they're making a low salary, if they know that there is, you know, uh, you know, I'd like to say that daycare centers need to be like a community, you know, a community where everybody helps each other, everybody works together. So you get the community, you get the professional development support at, that they need so that they have the tools to be able to be efficient in their job and to be able to just to give them that extra little bit of help when they need it. It says to the educators, I value you. I value what you're doing. And I want to help you to be the best educator that you can be. And I think that's one of the things that helps on the, the outside of it. On the inside of it, as an educator, we really have to sort of look at ourselves. One of the things that I've noticed with educators um, during the pandemic, particularly, and I think everybody's 
kind of done this is like kind of a head down kind of thing. Just get it done. Just get it done. Just get it done. Right. You know, just get through your day. Just get through your day. I know I'm nervous. I'm, I'm worried that I'm going to bring this home to my family. I'm like, just get it done. And now that we're past that, and now it's time to kind of look up again and see the positive things. I do this whole thing in my workshop about being grateful, about switching our mindset to something more positive. And to being able to sort of see the importance of our job and, and the legacy in which we provide um, for these children and for the families. Um, there's a great TED Talk by uh, Adele Lawler called The Unconditional Kindness uh, Towards Children. And she said that if you work with children, you become a memory in their memory bank. And what kind of memory do you want to be in that child's memory bank? So if we look up and change our mindset to being positive, yes, this pandemic, there's nothing we can do about it, but we still can have a positive attitude. And we have to recognize at the same time as educators and all the adults that are around children, they're watching us. They're looking for cues from us on how to manage this. Because if you figure a child who is two or three years old, they only know the pandemic. This is what they know. This is their life. And they're looking to the adults in their life to give them cues on, should I be really scared? Should I not want to be near other people? Should I, should I always have to have my mask on? Do I have to wash my hands a thousand times a day? Like, what is it that you know, what are the messages that the adults are sending to the children during this pandemic? And because their educators are with the children, what, six, seven, eight, nine hours a day, it's really important that educators recognize, oh, wait a minute, somebody's watching me. Yeah, I've got a, a bunch of set of eyes watching me throughout the day. But I think, you know, what I what I hear you say, which resonates with me and I think is so true is, is for a lot of people in our space and educators that have been in the classrooms either during and before COVID is remembering why they do what they do. Like it's been maybe hard to do that over the past couple of years with all those extra things that we talked about and some of the stresses, the, the emotional, the mental, even the physical stresses that you mentioned come with the job. But I think what I'm hearing you say is, you know, getting back to basics on why you've decided this career path and remembering, mm -hmm. you know, that's not all about money. And we certainly understand that that, you know, that's always a part of the conversation that people have to factor in. But it's it's people chose this path because they had a passion about it and and cared yeah. about it. Yeah. Did you you mentioned yeah, earlier, like, yeah, there's a purpose to it for sure. I mean, maybe, you know, one of the most mission driven, you know, career somebody could choose investing in you know early education for sure you, you referenced earlier the changes that the providers have gone through and teachers have seen happen when you reference changes did, do you specifically mean changes that have come over the last two and a half years through covid or even like for you personally watching this industry over the last 20 years things have changed a lot like is it have you seen a lot of change in your experience even over the last couple of years, or were those things already happening and COVID just kind of like um, highlighted it more, if that makes sense? Yes, yes. I I do definitely see that there's a, it was coming down, it was coming. And then, then pandemic, the pandemic definitely made 
put a real big spotlight on it. Uh, the changes in children's behavior, changes in parenting styles, changing in the industry in of itself, uh, people coming and going, not having that kind of stability. Um, that that kind of stuff is 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 detrimental to the children and detrimental to the educator um, because she doesn't know who she's going to be working with. Uh, from one week to another, um, children and their behavioral issues more and more. And I am a hundred percent in uh, in favor of inclusion. And I think that they should. Children should be. All children should be included in daycare centers. But not all educators are equipped with the tools to be able to deal with children with uh, exceptionalities. So. You know, we want everybody to come into the centers. We want everybody there, but we just don't always have the tools. And parents have this interesting thing. They bring a whole other dynamic into it, right? Being being a parent, um, you know, depending on the type of parents you have, some most parents are so grateful um, that the educators are there, that they love their children, that they can go to work and feel safe knowing that their child is cared for um, and all of that. But, you know, there are the occasional parents that are challenging and expect have high expectations. And some of them are very unrealistic expectations. Like, no, I'm not teaching your three-year-old how to read. <laughs> like, it's just, you know, it's just not, it's not, it's not appropriate. Um, but, you know, it, it all changes and it all comes um, with how confident an educator feels in the classroom. I know educators who have been in the field for 30 years and still will come across a child that'll make them scratch their head and go, I don't know what to do with this one. First time <laughs> I've seen this one. Yeah, there's oh, and those are the ones you remember, right? Like in my brief experiences of helping with young kids, especially as my kids were younger and help with different things that they were involved in. The challenging ones, which I love about, you know, the little rascals or whatever you want to call it, like they're the ones you remember, like they, oh, they, they leave ones. an imprint. I know. So do I. And like they have personality and maybe there's different unique challenges, but it ends up being the ones that you really remember, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Those are the ones that may have pushed your buttons. Those are the ones that may have, you know, you've gone through all of your tools and you still can't figure out how to get this child to listen to you. Um, and those are the ones you look back, you'll remember that child's name, you remember who, you know, exactly what he looks like. And you remember all of the hilarious stories that you have about I mean, it wasn't funny then, but it's yeah, exactly. Now. It's funny now in retrospect. Exactly. Exactly. It was in retrospect. You kind of go, okay, that was pretty funny. But then you, yeah, you're like, well, no, I think that's why educators too, you know, you have those kids that then they, you know, they, they come back or there's a moment where they, they thank you for something that you did, or, you know, you were out sick and, and they were like, where were you? We miss you. Like, and you realize that, like you said earlier, you know, these educators are making such an impact and sometimes they don't see it on a day by day basis. But when those little things come out, I think it obviously instills and, you know, reminds everybody why they've chosen this path. Mm -hmm. What would you say, like out of curiosity with all the people that you talk to, Donna, and the, and the seminars that you're doing now, burnout for an educator, right? Like we're seeing a lot of people leave the industry. Your poll that you did talked about the fact that, you know, maybe up to half of the, the people that were surveyed are at least thinking about not returning to their role as teachers in early education. Like, is there a recommendation that you would have or something that you've seen to be effective in, in regards to like, Hey, instead of leaving, 
maybe you're feeling burnt out right now. Is there something that you would suggest or an effective tool to say, hey, maybe taking a pause if you're feeling burnt out? Because is this a temporary thing and we still need you in this industry? Any like practical advice on that on that area? Well, I yeah, I really do think that burnout is very real in the field of early childhood. And uh, we see it in teachers, we see it in educators, um, and more so uh, since the pandemic. Because, you know, uh, if anybody's seen uh, what the nurses were wearing, that's exactly what the early childhood educators were wearing, right? They were wearing visors, yeah. they were wearing masks, they were wearing robes, they were wearing gloves. And having to do their work with that was just just a lot, you know, it was just a lot. And you're right. I think pause, I think one of the things that we talk a lot about in this profession, and I don't want to give too much lip service because I really think it's important, but we're, we're really big on the self care, but I, I do believe that it is important for educators to recognize that, you know, sometimes you do have to take a pause. Sometimes you have to say, okay, well, I know I only have, you know, two weeks vacation, but can I have three and I'll, I'll take the, the cut and pay or whatever, um, just to be able to take that pause. Because we all know that you cannot work with children if your cup is empty. If your cup is empty, this is when you, um, you know, you start to resent being in the field. You start being angry. You're not the best person that you want to be. And you leave, I I find, and I, I, I saw that sometimes in myself where I kind of went, okay, well, that wasn't a very good day. And how can I make tomorrow a better day? And recognizing that um, and and looking at it sort of in an in sort of an intentional way, like how can I do better and what's happening here? Oh, I didn't get enough sleep or I'm still hungry or, you know, like like it was just an overall bad day. I need I need to take a break. I need a few minutes to, to to walk away, or I need to take you know an extra week, or this weekend I'm not going to do anything. Um, but I also think it has to do a little bit with your attitude. Like every morning you wake up, you have a choice. You make a decision about how you're going to work with those children every single day. That's your choice. You're making that choice. My students ask me that all the time when they see an educator that you know may not be doing you know best practice or whatever, and I say, well, every day it's a choice. They wake up and they make the decision on how they're going to act with the children, and but they also have to recognize what they need for themselves as well. Yeah, that's part of the formula. You're right, and I know mm -hmm. I I think I read this that you said this somewhere, but it it, it rung true to me like at least as teachers approach that day, you said earlier, you know, being grateful and actually choosing to look at the things to be grateful for, but also like when they're in the classroom with students, um, it, maybe it was some expert who had talked about this, but actually thinking of your students as this is their first day and their last day all at once. Like if you walked into the classroom feeling like every single student, this is their first day in the class yeah, and or that. their last day. Like, yeah, what is the impression that I want to leave? What's going to make them be excited about coming back? What's going to leave you know, the legacy or the mark, you know, if it's their last day in my class, how do I want them to leave that? And I think that was a good practical tip as far as like how to get the right state of mind when, mm -hmm. when teachers walk this in the classroom. This was their only day yeah. in your classroom. What would that day look like? And I think if you think of that every single day, not every day in daycare, I don't know, 
as a daycare educator, I could tell you the Tuesdays and the Wednesdays never look the same. Friday's not the same as Monday, you know, like every day in the classroom is a different day because of dynamics and children and, and all of that stuff. But if your intention, if your intention is to walk through that classroom with the idea of the looking up, today's going to be a good day. I'm going to have these children watching me. How can I use positive language? How can I, you know, engage with them? And I think one of the things that we have to remember as early childhood educators is that we are working with children. And children are awesome. They're amazing <laughs> to be around. They are hilarious. I can't tell you how many times I have fallen off my little stool because I was laughing so hard at what a child had said. They're open, they're honest, they have a, such a sense of wonder about them and, you know, creativity and imagination. And just to be able to have that, to be around that, for me, I, that was my highlight. I loved just sitting there, listening to their conversations, having conversations with children. You have a conversation with a bunch of four-year-olds, and I'm telling you, you got to learn it's a, a lot, lot of fun. World. <laughs> yeah, well, you start to realize, like adults, we ruin things. The the older yeah. we get, the more we track through life, we start to take everything so serious, or we think things exactly. differently. Exactly. To a, a five-year-old, you're like, oh man, this is just simple. You're exactly right. That's a great soundbite for us to use. The children ch being around children is awesome. Um, Donna, if, if people want to find out more about, you know, the work that you're doing and, and if what they're hearing on this, you know, podcast resonates around like, oh, yeah, I need I need more of that. I need to kind of tap into some of the stuff and these <laughs> topics that Donna's talking about. How how can our audience find you? Like, where are you on social medias or anything like that? OK, so. Thank you for asking. I do appreciate that. Um, I do. Um, a lot of people have found me through LinkedIn, uh, which is Donna Ski. Uh, you can find me there, S-K-E-A. Um, and then you can also find me. I'm on Facebook. I have the Infinite Educator webs, uh, Facebook page there. And you can also reach me at Donna at theinfiniteeducator.ca. So that's all one word. Got it. And and your the work that you're doing with Infinite Educator right now is focused on your I know you're giving, you know, you're participating in different seminars and workshops. Are you doing private consulting and those types of things as yes. well? Or are you just waiting yes, to see I, how it opens up? Well, you know, you know what? I'm uh you know, I'm pretty game for everything. And I have done in the past. I have actually even gone into daycare centers and, you know, put my educator clothes back on and worked in the classroom with educators and dealt with like behavior issues and maybe scheduling issues and and sort of like boots on the ground I've talked to educators about what to do about you know staffing issues I've had uh, workshops with school boards I've had workshops with uh, educators, teachers, uh, directors, uh, I've given a few conferences. So I'm a the infinite educator was supposed to be like this and it's sort of turned into a jack of all trades kind of and but I I love I love it because it's it's I I have all of this information that I've learned over the last 30 years that I really really want to share with people. Um I'm a really good listener. I really believe that I hear what people 
want or need. And I try my best to provide uh, daycares with that. And I, and I listen to the director, but I also listen to the educators, which I think is a big thing too, because it is a community. It is part of everybody needs to work together to, to create this wonderful atmosphere for the children and their families. Yeah. And I think you have like, I mean, to your point about how it's kind of taken its own little life of its own, this this business that you started, I think that's, you know, what happens when you take a step of faith and a door opens up. And then, you know, also you have a really, I think, unique perspective on the industry just by, you know, teaching educators for as many years as you have, but also staying current with what's happening inside the four walls of the centers. Um, you know, it's obvious that you've got a passion for it and have a lot to share. So I hope um, you know, people who are looking for those types of resources will reach out and give you some more connections and, and vice versa. Um, last bonus question, because I know I want to be respectful of your time. Okay. This is completely like off topic. It's going back oh, no. to Montreal. <laughs> Old okay. Port, somebody listens to this show and they say, wow, I did not know Quebec was known for so much fun. That's going to be on my list to visit. Somebody lands in Montreal. They're at the Old Port area restaurant recommendation oh, you're in the old port and you have to experience real montreal restaurant cuisine any recommendation that comes to mind le garde manger le garde manger it is oh. a a hole in the wall it doesn't even have a sign uh reservations only but oh my goodness will you eat well and i i could probably name 12 places you got to go to dough beef and you got to go and have smoked meat and you have to go and have an authentic bagel and you have we eat and we party <laughs> that's a good that's a good combination so what so but the fact that that's the one that you mentioned out of all of them so say it one more time and does it does it have a translation into english uh le garde marché is uh the big eat the big eat all right <laughs> That that is a great way to end the show. And Donna, we really appreciate it. It's it's fun to meet you. Awesome Thank to you hear so what much. you're doing up there. And uh, you know, hopefully we can have a round two at some point. That would be great. I'd appreciate that. Thank you. All right, take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Childcare Business Podcast. To get more insights on ways to succeed in your childcare business. Make sure to hit subscribe in your podcast app so you never miss an episode. And if you want even more childcare business tips, tricks, and strategies, head over to our resource center at ProCareSoftware.com. Until next time.